a dream the other day. Yeah. And, uh, that was probably related to, to, to meeting you, I think. Because the first time we met, we, we talked online, you were, I think, in Dubai or something. Yeah. Uh, and in my dream, I was in a place like that. And there was this huge tsunami wave in the distance. And there were all of these people being, you know, taken by this wave. And yeah. I, was with, I, was with, I was with my family. Uh, and we were further away, and the I, and the um, and the dream was that we had to go up into the tower <laughs> to to save ourselves. So uh, we had to, we had to go. That's really digital. This is very fraud. This is digital. Digital is a tsunami. Yeah, it's gonna hit us. Yeah, that's and what I, I thought. I did and think about. vertical societies like Dubai, Singapore, because of the skyscrapers, we will deal a lot better with it. You know. They'll be the winners. The city states like Singapore and Dubai are really the wealthiest places on the planet today. And that's where the netocrats, the new superior elite of the world are moving. They're moving away from these nation states with territorial expansion ambitions. You know, we, we should stop being assessed, obsessed about Israel and the West Bank and all that because Israel was just the last nation state. And finally, the original nation of Israel got their nation state and they perfected it. That's exactly mm -hmm. why, why Zionism is the ultimate form of nationalism. But in reality, I celebrate the Palestinians for being the first cosmopolitans. And where did the Palestinians live? In Dubai, right? Mm -hmm. The irony is that the Israelis are the last nationalists, and the Palestinians are the first cosmopolitans. And becoming cosmopolitan is the future. This is what Heidegger talked about and eventually Derrida perfected. This is what continental philosophers started dealing with in the 20th century. The great part of it was the, was the culture of cosmopolitanism. It, not the Habermasian childish version of it, but the truly Derridian world version of it is what I'm interested in for, for my future work. And I think we need to understand that the journey towards the cosmopol, the return from Jerusalem to Babylon this time, is the mm. interesting journey of our time and what we have to achieve if we, if we get enough time to do it. Mm. Otherwise, our infantility is going to destroy that opportunity for us and we'll never get out of the mess we're in, we'll never reach the promised land. It is truly an exodus we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that the dream had something that, that, that was close to what, you, what you're saying here is that this, there's this kind of, uh, uh, there's this tsunami of, of truth. Uh, what? Yeah. Phallic truth. Oh, sort, sort of coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, at least it's a memory of absolutely everything that has happened. And, and this is what the matriarch, the older woman, is really good at. Mm -hmm. She knows all of history. She sees the patterns. She needs the mistakes being repeated, but she also sees the, the, the successes when previous failures are learned from and you can be successful things. And this is what the matriarch will tell you because she needs to be at the very end of the tribe when it moves to push everybody forward because you're, if you're behind her, you're dead. And we're gonna have a lot of children who refuse to grow up today who the matriarch will have to leave behind her. They cannot join us on the exodus into the future. Because I can tell you, all these obese Americans I see out there today, there's no way they can enter the world of tomorrow. They probably all end up when they've eaten enough hamburgers and if they don't die from heart failure, they're going to opiate abuse and they're gonna die. The opiate abuser is the ultimate child who refuses to grow up. Mm -hmm. sure. Opiate abuse is the ultimate form of infantilization. That's why it's a mass epidemic in America today. Mm -hmm. Opiates, the ultimate tit. Mm -hmm. Sorry, if you get stuck with that addiction, you're no use to anybody. You can't even be a crazy wisdom teacher, not as an opiate abuser. It's just impossible. Because mm -hmm. the opiates will take up your entire mind space. Mm 
obsession with opiates will take up your entire mind space. Like you tell your alcoholic parent, the problem is you're not my father, you're not my mother, because the alcohol has become your child and I cannot take the place of the alcohol, meaning I don't have a parent. Mm -hmm. So I think also there's something about tantric that's about radical, let's say, um, acceptance of passions and energies and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, to exercise self-control, you better know yourself first, right? It's just like Richard Dawkins wouldn't be a pathetic atheist if, if he's at least known what he's attacking. The atheism requires of him that he should know what theism is, but he doesn't. He doesn't understand theology, which is except, except incredibly crucial here to understand what theology is, what's well, different than philosophy also. But it, it's... it's um, to understand your own drive, to understand your own desire, which you do through psychoanalysis, mm -hmm. to understand drive and desire. I would even say with Sadekvist that we actually have four different categories here, which are called, you know, there's instinct and there's drive and there's desire and there's also transcendence. So, mm -hmm. but if you focus on the middle two, the drive and desire, if you get those two and you accept the important part of instinct mm -hmm. and then you work your way towards transcendence. So then you can understand the full spectrum of it. Now, if you get the full spectrum of it, you also understand how other human beings are operating, meaning, for example, or your future sexual partners or work partners or anybody else you deal with, the team you got around you, the family you're creating. You understand what it means to be human. Once you understand that, you then start the journey towards self-control. And self-control only has one purpose here. And that purpose is that if I postpone the benefit of my own talents, mm -hmm. The reward is so much richer, especially for people around me. My contributing role can grow. My contribution becomes bigger. Mm -hmm. I become a better hunter, better warrior, better father, better mother, and certainly a better lover. Yeah. If I can contain myself, my drives, and my desires. But to do that, I first have to understand what they, how they work, and then I can work on that. And I don't think... You should look at that when you do tantra. It's like any tantric sex course that just says you that if you go here, you're going to get fucked more. It's just like, well, hopefully, yes. But the point here is the tantric spirituality. And the tantric spirituality is that that will then contain and control your tantric sexuality. And that's when you get the reward. Hmm. And that reward might, might be less sex, but more libido because the pointer was to maximize the libido and contain yeah. the libido and wake right. up every morning and be libido, yeah. being alive. Hmm. When you go into psychoanalytical work, for example, you discover a certain pathology, you had a trauma or something that happened to you, or pathology, mm -hmm. which is a misunderstanding how you function and you yeah. live with it for years. The thing you do is you just basically contain it in your hand and then say, well, we can use it. It can be raw material. Yeah. You can build something from it. Oh, you had a trauma. Great. At least then you're empathetic towards people who go through that kind of trauma. Meaning you could lead or you could teach or you could care for people who have that kind of trauma. Hmm. That's crazy wisdom. Your entire life is resources. Your entire yeah, life yeah, is yeah, everything. Your memories is resources. Yeah. Makes me think of your original analogy at the beginning of the... the uh... The conversation about about farming about everything being kind of like compost or 
Yeah, I, I strongly disagree with Joel Harari's assessment. You know, it's just that if you read Sapiens, which is like a pop book version of Rousseauian history, right? It, it is that he, he, he degrades farming and agriculture and says that we were probably happy before we got it and we we're very unhappy afterwards. No, there is no argument for that at all. Life in the original nomadic tribe was incredibly tough, incredibly tough. So that's not what we want to return. We just want to understand it because we're still genetically stuck in it. It is the foundation model from which we build the world. We're still these tribal beings because we lived like that for hundreds of thousands of years and only had civilization for like what at the most 5,000 years America still hasn't got it so 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 to understand that is what we need and then understand the beauty and what we started this is our astronism fundamental astronism the beauty of containing knowledge outside of the brain and writing it down and thereby getting wiser collectively wiser mm -hmm. to be able to create a larger tribe to go from tribe to clan, from clan to nation, and maybe one day, with the help of the machines, go from nation to globe. So this, this whole journey is the overall journey of humanity. We'll see if we can take the last step or if this is actually where we fail. History is continuing. We don't know where we're gonna end up, whether we will fail at this or not. If we'll fail, we'll fail miserably. If we succeed, it will be awesome. There's no in-between. So, that starts with the cultivation of the ground. Okay, first we raised, we raised cattle. But as soon as we had cattle and we took the manure from the cattle and put it on the ground, we could start to farm. Mm. And farming required a larger community. It required way more knowledge and wisdom than we had in the past, meant that we had to write things down and accumulate knowledge outside of our own brains to pass it on from one generation to the next. That is the biggest revolution that ever happened to us. Mm -hmm. Digital probably gonna be the second biggest one. The printing press is a small revolution in between the two. Mm -hmm. and so this is the cultivation of the planet that got started it. And I think we need to accomplish that fully because if we're gonna contain a planet with 10, million, 10 billion people on it, all interconnected with each other, that's gonna take so much energy, so much electricity, so much of the resources that have to be recycled and reused and all that, and so much of the sunlight being tamed and all that for us to be able to do that, that we need to cultivate the entire planet. And that's exactly why the overall goal of controlling and then cultivating climate is not to avoid climate disaster now, but to save us from the next ice age. Mm -hmm. Now, if we set the goal there, then we have the exodus of technology, the exodus of relationship between man and machine. We know what machine intelligence should do to serve us. And we can answer the biggest questions of our time that way because we finally set the goal in the right direction. We put the goal in the right place and suddenly everything else we ask ourselves today is just like byproducts of that overall grand narrative. That's exactly why the grand narrative is incredibly important because all the different ideologies we then create to orientate ourselves in the world will be byproducts of that overall grand narrative. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, you're talking about a grand narrative and then all the other narratives that would kind of grow from it, like a tree or- Our, our sub, the byproducts, there's subdivisions of that narrative, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. And because we're now unified, we're, we're as priests, we're standing there saying that, okay, all the tribes are coming together. 
And that's not to be celebrated. It's going to be fiendishly difficult to make this work. To begin with, the East and the West have to be unified. That's a sad way you and I sitting here and have a conversation. What is it from Taoism? What is it from Zoroastrianism? What is it from Buddhism? What is it from Hindu mysticism? What is it from Christianity, especially from Catholicism, that we can pick? And and not pick like children pick it, like, I like this, I pick it. Rather like, what is the ultimate challenge that this specific ideology addressed in the past? that we can take from it. And in the case of Catholicism, that is mercy. Mm-hmm. That's great. What yeah. do the Catholics teach us? The power of mercy. Hmm. Also the dangers of, of promising mercy to the people who don't deserve it. But still, mercy, when the digital tsunami hits us, mm-hmm. mercy is going to be the first thing we demand massively. Because otherwise our super egos are going to take over the world. And we're going to judge ourselves and basically call ourselves in the process. Yeah. That sounds very biblical again. Yeah, all of these biblical me- metaphors coming through. It sounds like the last judgment, right? Yeah. Well, well, well if, if I talk to Catholics about it, I'll say we're really creating a third testament, aren't we? Uh-huh. A third testament. Hmm. The third testament is letting go of the father and letting go of the son and understanding what parents and understand patriarchs and matriarchs, understand what ur patriarchs and ur matriarchs really were and understand religion fully. So taking the criticism of atheism and then throw out the atheism and then reform the Christian message in that case and move on to the third testament of the Abrahamic religion. The third testament would be save the Holy Ghost. We wrote about this in synthesis, and actually Slava Shishik addressed it before we did, Sodokas 9. The, the great part of Christianity we should save as Christian atheists. It's the Holy Spirit, yeah. Hmm. Holy Spirit, which is yeah. the community being sacred. But for the community to be sacred, for God's sake, they better grow up. You know, yeah. it, it can't be children. We can't promise the children that they're the, the divine. Mm-hmm. That's that, very was, that was a disaster of history. Never ever do it again. Stop declaring children are divine. They're not. They're brutish little monsters. I knew this Jewish mystic guy who was Leonard Cohen's teacher before he died, and he converted to all the world religions in order to rescue the the Holy Spirit. He called it theurgical, like magic. Uh, it reminds me a bit of what you're saying uh, that the Holy Spirit, just the essence of, of the whole thing, is is what needs to be rescued and the nation of israel was the exodus out of egypt it was then supported by the empire of the future which was the persian empire that conquered babylon and of course the persians set the jews free so they could return to jerusalem build the temple of jerusalem and become the nation which then the persians could use as a model because you need the nations within the empire for the empire to work that's exactly why our second book was called The Global Empire in 2003. We pointed out already then, said Ekaterinath, that this is the ambition of our philosophical work. The global empire is already there. It's called the internet. The global empire is going to come back and haunt us with its factuality, with its monstrous tsunami of history is going to come all over us. And it's going to say, so since I became an empire, technology, why don't you, human beings, also become imperial? Where is your imperial mindset? And the imperial mindset is way larger than the nation. It's when you go to the neighboring nation and say, why don't we create a mythology that says we have the same origin and we're on the same path? The problem with that is that you have to translate the languages to be able to do that. It's Tower of Babel all over again. And maybe then Google Translate is the best thing that happened with the internet. Again, technology is there to help us. So the machine intelligence should only have one overall goal. And that overall goal, we point out in digital libido, 
it's the incredibly difficult move from the intertribal to the intertribal. Which is, it's easier to love your own community, it's easier to love your own family, it's easier to love your own tribe, but how do you love to learn, learn to love the stranger? Mm-hmm. The infinite demand of the stranger, Simon Critchley calls it. Brilliant philosopher, by the way. Simon is brilliant. So you take Critchley's idea of the infinite demand of the stranger, and then you basically do what I do then, is I go to digital and say, maybe digital can help us do that. So we go to the machines and say, can you make me love the stranger? Hello, blockchains. Hello, decentralized platforms. Hello, everything the hackers are doing today. The hackers are already the monks and the nuns of the world today trying to create sophisticated ways for people to deal with the stranger without killing him. Hmm. And I'm not being fucking Gandhi here, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying this is going to be, I'm a crazy Western priest pointing towards what human beings should focus on. And I couldn't care less if they do it or not. But I am saying essentially that, okay, if you want to pull this trick off and Mm. save human life on this planet, you know, the planet doesn't care about you. Other human beings might. You should certainly care about yourself. And that caring should mean you point yourselves towards the infinite demand of the stranger as the ultimate challenge of the day. Yeah. That's why the Silk Route, all these things we're learning now, trade routes throughout history. How do we avoid war in the past? Yeah. How do we move from tribe to clan? How do we move from clan to nation? That's what Judaism is so important to learn from. But how do we now move from nation to a global community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just reading Jordan, one of Jordan Hall's articles, and he, he said the next generation is the Omega generation. <laughs> that was his, his theory. Like either the last generation or like humanity 2.0 yeah. or something like that. Either right. the last generation or the, the, the kickoff or the next step, right? And the next step here is the same cycle, the same being born, the same growing up to be a, an adult one day and then hopefully be an elderly and wise person and then die happily with a smile on your face having accomplished your full whole life. It's going to stay like that for a long time. We might live longer in the future. We might strive for survival. Derrida says this very explicitly. He says immortality is a nasty lie, but, but, but if you look at immortality, it's actually horrible, but mm-hmm. we could live longer. Mm-hmm. But if you aim for living longer, there must be point to that, and that is to create more wisdom, more human wisdom. Yeah. Because if we stay elderly without going demented, we can also yeah. be teachers longer periods of life, which might be required of us for the next generation because the world is getting- Yeah, I guess that's the only point of being old, isn't it? To be able yeah. to pass things yeah. on, right? To be a teacher. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah. You're getting it. Can you and I now, for the third parties that might even have, you know, gone through all this conversation and being part of it, just say that don't look to Andrew Sweeney and Alexander Bard as role models? Oh, I've never felt like a role model to anyone. No, I don't think you and I want to be, we're definitely (laughs) crazy wisdom. Oh, I'm, I'm going to stay. Maybe my daughter, my young young daughter, but in some ways, but. uh, Yeah, I live in the gutter. Yeah. I live in the gutter for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm the. I'm defending the gutter. The gutter is needed. It's the people coming out of the gutter we should listen to today. As always, when dramatic shifts happen in history and the paradigm shift that we're currently going through, the people in the gutter are the ones that get digital. They're going to get it first before anybody else. Because they're not full of the petit bourgeois narcissism that's dominating the social media platforms today. And it's not going to survive. It has no value. 
it adds no value. Well, it's empty, yeah. It's yeah. totally empty. It's totally empty, yeah. It's gonna be gruesome for these kids to discover that. Hmm. It is empty. Hmm. So you're like 58 years old. How do you, how do you maintain such a tsunami-like energy uh, within yourself? How about Tantra? Tantra. <laughs> back to Tantra. That was the whole point, right? That was the whole point, yeah. Yeah. That was no, just, I don't need Viagra. I'm embarrassed by my question, actually. It's, it sounds too cheesy and journalistic somehow, but anyway. But that's the answer. It's a very simple, very straightforward answer. Yeah, crazy wisdom, if anything. Well, I don't know about the wisdom. Certainly crazy, but you know, mm. crazy human. But No, but yeah. actually, I, I actually, I, I, thought, I don't think you're that crazy. Uh, somehow, I think that crazy wisdom people are not crazy, and everybody else is crazy, but... I mean, you're not crazy in the sense that your craziness is, is not, uh, it's not hiding somewhere. Or... I think I'm crazy, but I worked on my infantility and I think I got rid of most of it and it only pops up now and then I can even love it and forgive it. I think the less infantile you can be and the more of an adult you can be, the more you contribute, the more successful you become at being a real human being. Mm -hmm. that, that's the point. That's what we envy our parents for we're kids and that's what we want to be when we grow up and hopefully we succeed in that process i guess what i'm saying I is the adultification of the world and that's exactly what you and i and jordan peterson and camille paglia are great quadrant we're saying the same thing the adultification of society is the yeah. most important mission today saving the planet getting digital right all the other challenges we have all follow from the desire to be adults adultify the world yeah. Start Which by is, making your let's say full spectrum eccentricity rather than neuroticism or resentment or Oh, I know where I'm crazy wisdom. I haven't made my bed today and I couldn't care less. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I've got an excuse for not making the bed because I did something else more adult and that's sit with you, Andrew, and have a conversation man to man. I don't, so I have I an excuse not to make the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you get something in front of you that you can plunder and exploit. Oh, why don't you consider exploiting it instead? Keeping it as it is. Or doing something different with it that's not exploitative, that makes it grow. That's right. Exploitation is the foundation of cultivation, which is the foundation of agriculture. Mm -hmm. Exploitation is just something is in front of you, you can eat it. Eat it. Implantation is something is in front of you, you can eat it, but you could also put it into the ground, back into the ground, and have 10 times more of it in six months. Yeah, you do it's, that. It's That's implantation. And cultivation is another one. Cultivation word. starts with implantation. Implantation becomes cultivation, and that's exactly what we need to do with the entire planet. We need to employ it instead of exploit it, and by learning how to employ things, we can cultivate the entire planet, and we can all survive. 